2: Welcome to Seasoned. I'm Marisol Castro.
1: And I'm Chef Plum. When Marisol and I discover a farmer or a chef doing great work, we just gotta tell you about it. The same is true for cookbooks and authors who capture our attention.
2: Valerie Lomas' first cookbook, Life is What You Bake It, is a dream realized. This hour, we talk to the former lawyer turned baker and winner of The Great American Baking Show. She'll talk about how an unrelenting belief in herself spurred a career change, how she refused to let her accomplishments be erased, and how she created a beautiful book filled with recipes influenced by family and travel. Valerie, thank you so much for joining us on Seasoned. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to talk to you guys. I'm so excited to see the human behind one of the most beautiful cookbooks I have ever seen in my life. How did you make all of that happen?
0: Oh, well, first of all, thank you. You know, when I was thinking about this cookbook, because it's something I've been thinking about for many years, I knew that I wanted to share, you know, these heirloom recipes that have been passed out in my family. And I thought it was also important to put a face to those women who created those recipes, while also having a chance to share my story, what I've gone through on this journey from being a lawyer to becoming a baker full-time and a food person full-time you know it was really important that this book contained like recipes that people can make at home whether they're a novice or someone you know that's that wants a, a project and i want there to be really dynamic photography of the dishes of the food but also of people because you know, when I think about baking and when I think about food, it's about community. So I wanted people to feel that when they open the book.
1: Valerie, I've, I've known a lot of different chefs in my life, a lot of different bakers in my life. And I got to say, I've never met a baker or a chef who was previously a lawyer. <laughs> That's kind of crazy.
0: It is a little crazy. But at the same time, the reason I kind of started on this journey was because I needed an outlet to express myself creatively. Legal writing, it's, there's one way to do things. And, you know, at the time it was, I started, you know, this whole journey, my last year of law school, the recession was happening. The like, oh, eight recession was like full speed ahead. And, you know, I was in school just like, what the heck? I just needed to give my brain a break. So baking and, and cooking, it's, it was meditative for me.
1: Wait a minute. You're telling me that there's no creativity in being a lawyer? I've watched the practice. I've yes. watched Boston Legal. Come on.
0: <laughs> I was going to say, Valerie, you went from tort to tart. Yes. Yes. Nice. Apologies <laughs> to all of my former law professors.
2: I love this. So you decide that you're going to make a complete 180 or what I think of as a 180 because I cannot tell you that I, I associate law with baking. Uh, how does that
0: figure on the trajectory of your life? I do think it was a complete 180 because I felt like I was starting from scratch. A little bit of background. I competed on the Great American Baking Show in 2017. I won. And about five or six months later, I was sitting in my cubicle at work. And I was like, hey, I want to write a cookbook. I want to like do television. There's so much more that I want to do in the food world and the baking world. And because it had been such a a serious hobby for so many years, and I, you know, I had been burning the candle at both ends. It's it's how I spent my time, nights, mornings, weekends. I had a very pitiful social life. (laughs) I knew I wanted to give myself a chance. So, you know, I had been working as a lawyer for eight years and I finally decided I'm gonna take the plunge. And I did not have a cookbook deal lined up or other work lined up but I was like this window of opportunity, it's getting smaller and smaller with each day that I'm sitting in this office. And, you know, there's a saying "Leap, and the net will appear. And it was after I made that decision that things started falling into place. And I think it's because I, I made them fall into place because they had to. And I remember telling myself, I was like, I just need like three years. And then I'll be able to like be on my feet and like this will be like a, a machine that can just chug along. And uh, we're at a little over three years now. And, you know, I, I've gotten there, but it didn't feel like I was starting from scratch. But I knew that I had to try.
1: You talked before about uh, giving your brain a rest from being a lawyer and all that. But I mean, choosing French baking is uh, there's not much of a brain <laughs> rest there at all.
0: <laughs> I mean, so it, it was for me because so I was actually an undergrad. I was a French major, I had stayed abroad in France twice as an undergrad. So I spent a summer in Dijon, and I spent a semester in Paris. And that's when I was introduced to this whole other world of baking, because I'm from Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and there's a very strong food tradition and baking tradition there, Mm -hmm. and a lot of French influence. But it's very different from like modern day French pastry. So you know, growing up, we were eating like, of con pie and peach cobbler and pound cake. And, you know, all of those desserts, which they're wonderful, but they are very different than French desserts, which are more dainty and they're not very sweet. You know, they have a completely different aesthetic. Mm-hmm. You know, I went to France, I fell in love with this whole new style and I was able to kind of like create my own where you know, I'm making pecan pie, but like, maybe I'm adding a little bit more bourbon or I'm toasting the pecans to bring out those like umami and bitter flavors so that you're not overwhelmed with sweetness. But, you know, I also, I have a whole chapter on France and then I've got lemon tarts and i cause you know, tarts, they are tarts. That's, <laughs> That's the word. So for me, it was definitely a break because it was something I loved and it always felt like a treat. Because I mean, I was also a psychology major. I was a double major. So when I was in my French classes, that was like my my fun, my recess, my <laughs> yeah, my recharge. Yeah.
1: And, and no thought ever of when you were trying to figure out what to do with it to go. Okay, there's some great bakers in New York City. Let's go work and let's go work with one of these guys. Let's go work in a restaurant. Let's go work patisserie. Um, no thought of ever maybe trying to go that route.
0: You know, I went to college in Los Angeles and law school, and when I was there. No, I was always so academic oriented growing up, like in high school, you know, I was in the math club, and the French club and the beta club. And it was never like a thought that I would not keep going to school, you know, right. So when I finished college, it wasn't like, Oh, I I can go to Paris and go to culinary school. It was more like, Oh, I can go to Paris and, and take this week long class on how to make croissant, which I did which was very fulfilling. And, you know, I learned like how to laminate dough, something that, oh, boy. you know, now, <laughs> yeah. But like, I use that in my biscuits and my pie crust, obviously not the French technique, but the idea of folding dough to get those flaky layers. Mm-hmm. So I learned so much, but no, it didn't dawn on me like, oh, hey, you can make a career out of this. No. <laughs>
1: Yeah, laminating, just so you guys know what she's talking about when she's saying laminating dough, it's, you you basically minus all it's crazy, you fold the dough constantly and you roll it and you fold it and you roll it and you fold it and you,
2: it and you roll I've it. He- I've you... heard of this sort of yeah. torture,
0: for, <laughs> it's torture for
2: bakers. I've I've oh. seen it. I've seen it. I've never attempted it.
0: Sweet, delicious torture. Yes. There's butter involved, which is a major that's what yeah. you're
2: folding into the dough is butter. <laughs> I'm happy to just be on the receiving end uh, of that <laughs> laminating business. Valerie, I wonder if you wouldn't mind going back to um, the experience on the Great American Baking Show, because part Mm -hmm. of what is so special about this show season is that we realize that people in the culinary world are more than just the sum of their parts. And it is not lost on me that you are a woman of color, that you are a black woman um, who is forging her way. And something that really hit home for me was a quotation from the book or from your life, which is, my victory, like so many accomplishments of Black women who came before me, had been effectively erased. And that is talking about what happened on your particular season of The Great American Baking Show, which that season was canceled because of sexual misconduct. And I wonder if you wouldn't mind telling us about how that experience steeled you in moving forward? Yeah. um, And what sort of effect it had on you?
0: Yeah. You know, as you mentioned, the season that I was on, you know, we filmed it, we filmed it in September in London. And then a month or two later, the Me Too movement really picked up steam. And by December, the week after our premiere aired, You know, allegations against one of the judges came out about sexual misconduct. And, you know, the show, it was airing primetime on ABC on Thursday nights, which is just insane to think about when they chose to remove the show from the air because of this judge. It was just so incredibly disappointing. And it felt like the rug was pulled from under me. But then like I put my lawyer hat on and I was like, well, surely there are things that we can do to like. Fix the situation and make this right. And I like quickly learned the whole juggernaut entity was just, it had already chugged right along. And there I was, and there were the other contestants. All five of the semifinalists were women. And it was like, here we are, women who had sacrificed a lot to be on this show. Because we filmed for like nearly five weeks. I left my job. People left newborns, newlyweds. There were other professionals who had very demanding jobs. And what we thought we were bargaining for was to have the the complete experience and for the show to air. So yeah, it was super disappointing. But I was like the same thing that like fueled me while we were shooting because by the way, shooting a competition show like that over five weeks is (laughs) grueling they edit it and they make everything look cute and happy. And there were definitely cute and happy moments, but the days were very long. And if you're not used to being on a TV set, we were not professional <laughs> TV set people yet here we were. So yeah, like the same thing that fueled me to get through that competition to, you know, go home after a, a long 16 hour day and like practice what I was going to bake the next day. And the same thing that like fueled me through the bar exam It was like I tapped into that extra gear that I had and I was like, well, this isn't the end of this. I'm going to do everything I can to make sure that all of the work that I put in and that others put in doesn't just disappear into thin air. I was like, this is not over.
1: (laughs) They aired one episode, right?
0: Yeah, it was like a two hour premiere. Yeah, Yeah. thankfully, because the first week I almost got kicked off. And the second week I was Star Baker. So it was nice that at least it like ended on a high note for me. <laughs> you see? You see? <laughs> so how did you
1: how do you deal with that when you just to kind of, you know, reinsert yourself back into your life? Because they'll shoot a show like this six months, eight months ago. Then it airs. It's a long period of time between the two a lot of times. And just trying to reinsert yourself into life itself can be hard. And then not only you find out shortly after that, oh, by the way, we're not to air the show. And you're not going to get your winnings and nothing's happening. It didn't happen.
0: Right. The mental fortitude that you kind of have to have to like survive and just like not walk off (laughs) like in the middle of the season, seriously, it does. It takes something out of you. But when I got back, like literally the next day I went back to work. So I didn't even really have that time to process what had happened. The processing for me happened months later you know, what you mentioned about dealing with you're at such a high, and then you're back at real life.
1: And you can't talk about it.
0: You can't talk about it. Exactly. How do you balance your mood? I think I felt all of that like, after the show got canceled, I want it to melt into a puddle. Yeah, mm-hmm. But when, <laughs> when I remember studying for the California bar exam, and we had this one law professor, and he was like, During the exam, you will get to a question where you don't know the answer. You cannot melt into a puddle. So I was always thinking that, like, I cannot melt into a puddle, even though I want to. (laughs) You just
2: have to keep moving ahead. You're listening to our conversation with Valerie Lomas. We're talking about her cookbook, Life is What You Bake It, and the tenacity it took to turn her passion for baking into a career in the food world. Later in the hour, we'll dive into some recipes from the book, including Valerie's olive oil chocolate chunk cookies. Dang, I could go for one of those right now. I'm a hungry Marisol Castro.
1: And I'm Chef Plum. Coming up after the break, Valerie shares tips for baking biscuits and quick breads.
0: Last year was the year of banana bread. Let's make this year and this fall the year of pumpkin bread. It's just as easy. Yeah, it's just as delicious.
1: You're listening to Seasoned. We'll be right back.
2: Welcome back to Seasoned, I'm Marisol Castro.
1: And I'm Chef Plum.
2: We're spending the hour with Valerie Lomas. We talked in the first segment about Valerie's life as a student and lawyer, and how she won season three of The Great American Baking Show, back in 2017. But that season didn't air beyond its first episode due to sexual harassment allegations made against one of the show's judges.
1: Despite the disappointment, Valerie rallied to write her first cookbook, Life is What You Bake It. Recipes, stories, and inspiration to bake your way to the top.
2: And here on the top is where you are with all these accomplishments, with this beautiful cookbook. How did you make the transition from the show, picking yourself up, as you mentioned, and then making this beautiful cookbook, which, by the way, pays homage to your grandmothers?
0: It was some months of some soul searching, of some digging, of some just reaching out to like my whole network asking them for advice, like someone put me in touch with a publicist right after the show got canceled, which is I think one of the main reasons there was even like publicity about the show actually being canceled and me having won the show. But when the show got canceled, you know, I was told like, hey, don't think you can really write the book that you want to write. I was suggested, well, maybe you should just try to write a smaller book on donuts, or maybe you should try to like partner with a well-known baker. You just don't have the name recognition. Did you want to pull your hair out of your head? I would have punched someone
2: in the face if you said that to me. You know, I get it.
0: I think I thought about it for like a half a minute and I was like, okay, like maybe you're not the right person to be on this journey with me because I need people who believe in the vision. Like I need people that can see into the future and see what this can look like, even though right now it looks like oh, crap, the show got canceled. No one knows who she is. I ended up just surrounding myself with people who believed in me, but I knew that I had to try. And that's where I found fulfillment was that I gave myself that best chance and I was betting on myself. And I'm listening to you speak,
2: Valerie, and everything that you're saying, all those steps you took are completely reflective of the five bits of Baker's wisdom. That you outlined, which is write it down. You said, move with intention. You were like, if you're not gonna be my cheerleader, I'm gonna find someone who is. Practice bakes purpose. Trust yourself. Have fun. Talk to us about those five points because it sounds like you were doing already doing that in real life. And now every time I go to bake chocolate chip cookies, I'm gonna be thinking about, all right, I have to make, I have to move this chocolate
0: chip batter with intention. <laughs> 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 yeah. So The writing it down, that was because, you know, 2017, which was the year all of this kicked off, um, it was like the first year in a long time I had made a vision board, I had gone to like a new church, and they were like, you know what, you need to put down some goals that are so big that, you know, they did not happen without some kind of divine intervention. I was like, I want to be on a TV show. I was like, I want to travel internationally for my like hobby with food. I want a book deal. And it was just like having that board in front of me, you know, you were manifesting this without like necessarily consciously realizing it. I was moving with intention (laughs) towards those goals. Good for you. And even when it comes to recipes, I say move with intention because my mother, who I love, who is like one of my biggest cheerleaders, inspirations, but she's like slow making a recipe. you know, she still lives in Louisiana. Things are just a little bit slower there. I'm in Manhattan. I'm like, you can't walk down the street if you're not walking like you're going to a destination. (laughs) You need to move like that through a recipe. And it can still be like comforting and play music. You just don't want your ingredients to sit because you never know, like sugar and eggs. A lot of people might know if they sit, you're dehydrating those eggs. So it's just like keep things moving along, you know.
1: (laughs) That's great. I love baking things like quick breads in the fall. It's one of my favorite things, you know, uh, banana bread, uh, pumpkin bread, pumpkin loaf, Any tips for doing stuff like that?
0: Oh, I love that you said this because I was like, you know what? Last year was the year of banana bread. Let's make this year and this fall the year of pumpkin bread because it's just as easy. Yeah, it's just as delicious. No one really wants a pumpkin spice latte. It's so gross. I'm sorry. Pumpkin spice lattes are gross. Pumpkin bread plus coffee. Uh, There I said it. If you hate me, I'm sorry.
1: (laughs) It's like drinking a fall candle. It's gross.
0: Yeah, and there's no pumpkin in it whereas pumpkin bread has real pumpkin in it so you're still getting those warm fall spicy flavors and like as far as tips um when you're baking like a loaf like that you want to make sure that you bake it long enough because those loaves they can be deceiving your house will smell like oh goodness fall warm yummy and if you take it out without sticking that cake tester or even like a skewer all the way deep in the center of that loaf, Mm -hmm. uh, it can be not done in the middle. So I would say you want that loaf to still be moist. So you don't want to overdo it, but make sure it's cooked all the way through because they can be a little bit deceiving as to whether or not they're done.
1: That's a good tip. Yeah, absolutely. Toothpicks, skewers, anything. You can use a little butter knife even works fine.
0: Yeah.
2: Yes. What about I Love Me a Good Biscuit, and you have an accordion biscuit situation. Can you divulge? (laughs) can you talk to us about the biscuit?
0: We can talk about the biscuit situation. Like I said, I'm from Batners, Louisiana. Like I, biscuits, love biscuits. I've had them all of my life. I expect good biscuits. And, you know, in this recipe that I share, I wanted people to get all of those layers in the biscuits, which is where the name accordion biscuit came from. Plus, you know, I, I tell this story of you know, my dad and his grandmother making him and his brothers like bottomless biscuits. And when I, you know, when I think about South Louisiana, I think about Zydeco music and there's that accordion playing in the background. Yeah, yeah. And this just goes to show you like little bits you pick up along the way. Like when I was laminating dough in France, which is like a very serious process, I kind of used that same technique for my biscuits, which is just kind of patting the dough down with those chunks of butter cutting it in half, stacking it on top and just kind of repeating that a few times. And it just helps getting those layer, those gorgeous layers. It makes them a lot easier. You can do the same thing with pie crust. Look, I love those biscuits. I actually, I had some in my freezer. True story. And last night I had my mom bake them because she's visiting right now.
2: (laughs) Oh my goodness. Nice. That's not nice. I would like one right now, despite being on a Zoom.
1: (laughs) I like the idea of freezing it. I yeah. love that idea.
0: Oh, yeah. So there's a tip on, you know, if you freeze them, exactly how long you'll need to bake them for. Because another important thing about biscuits, similar to pie crust, you want that dough to be really cold going into the oven. If you make them in advance and you freeze them, it's perfect. Because then if you just want to have like two or three or four and you've made eight or 12, you can easily just bake some of them and then you have some ready to go. I love a good backstory.
2: And these biscuits, in your life, figure quite prominently because of the women in your life. Can you, can you tell us about that? Yeah. You're paying homage to who who you're thinking of when you bake your, your biscuits.
0: Yeah. So, um, you know, a a little bit about what we were saying earlier in the convo about, you know, me thinking about the many black women who came before me and how their contributions in this instance, in the culinary world, how they did not get that credit that's why one of the reasons why i wanted to make sure i was paying homage to my grandmothers my mother and in instance instance of the biscuits my great grandmother because she is the one who made these biscuits for my dad for his brothers she taught my grandmother these biscuits and then i watched my grandmother make these biscuits and these biscuits you know they are different than the ones that my grandmother made The thing about biscuits is I don't think of them as a recipe to memorize. They're like a tactile thing. And it's something that I call it. It's a biscuit practice, like a yoga practice or a meditation practice. It's something that you keep doing and you keep getting better at. You keep learning something and it's tactile. You want to feel like what it's supposed to feel like. So, yes, like my recipe is a little bit different than my grandmother's, but the heart of like what that biscuit is supposed to be is the same.
1: That's great. I mean, listen, you're probably going to hate it, but I've done it at food festivals all over the place. I, always, uh, I grew up in Virginia and my dad would make biscuits too, but he would call them catheads, and they're essentially a drop biscuit, you know, mm-hmm. so it wasn't all a layer, but it was a simple, easy drop biscuit where you spoon out and just drop it on the pan and let it go, you know, butter, you cut the butter into the flour and a little baking powder and it's delicious, but I'm sure as an expert biscuit maker like yourself, that's unheard of. Don't do that, right?
0: Oh, no, no, no. I love a drop biscuit. Let's not get it twisted. I like all kinds of biscuits. Another really important thing that I thought about in a lot of the recipes in this book, I want people to make them and I don't want people to be intimidated. Yeah. The the accordion biscuit recipe, you got to get your hands dirty. Like literally you're, you're patting down dough and and all that kind of stuff. But you know what, if a drop biscuit is going to get you to put on, you know, your, your biscuit making, whatever, and you feel into it and ready. I love it. I've made them many times. I've made a drop biscuit. so I. I'm not mad at your drop biscuit.
1: It's great for a, a, a savory application, too.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Did you do like the the herbs and the cheddar and all that jazz?
1: Oh, you name it. Oh, yeah. I've even served it with uh, a little bit of uh, like raw sashimi fish. And then I've done them where I actually make like a chicken pot pie, pie, but then pour it over a drop biscuit.
0: Oh, my goodness. That sounds real good.
1: <laughs> a pot roast with all that jus over top of beautiful drop biscuit on a cold winter Sunday. That's awesome.
2: Oh, that sounds nice. Ooh. Hi, I love. That. I, admittedly, I've I've never tried making biscuits. <gasps> I have to do oh, this. You,
1: you you would crush a biscuit.
2: I know. Can I call you guys? Can you walk me through it <laughs> on like Facetime or oh, something? Totally. Because clearly, I'm not inviting Valerie over to my house unless my biscuit game is tight. Got to be on point. Otherwise, she will chastise Listen. me. If you, <laughs> I'll make you some
0: arroz con pollo though.
2: I'll make you some. I'll make you a meal <laughs> arroz con pollo.
0: People cook for me, make me drinks, coffee, anything. I love that.
2: Valerie,
1: so my wife loves to make oven pancakes for my kids. And I know in the book, you do a Bananas Foster oven pancake. Could you just share that story a little bit over uh, the Canal Street Cafe's temperature lunch? Like the inspiration for it, right?
0: Yeah. (laughs) I lived in New Orleans one summer. I was working for a nonprofit law organization. So, you know, we didn't have a lot of money. At lunchtime, there's a place called Palace Cafe. It's owned by like a very famous New Orleans restaurant family, the Brennan's. Mm -hmm. And in the summer, they have a prefix menu called a temperature lunch. So you get appetizer, entree and dessert, all for the temperature that it is outside that day in the summer. No, (laughs) True story. Three courses. So if it's 98 degrees, the lunch is $9 and 80 cents.
1: I thought it was going to be $98. I was like, whoa, <laughs> I
0: thought
2: it was going to be 98 cents. <laughs> I was like, Oh, it
0: was nice to know you guys. I'm going down to this thing for my 98 cents. Yeah. <laughs> <Yeah." breakfast. laughs> it's right on canal street in the middle of, you know, in the heart of new Orleans, you can get the bananas foster dessert as part of your temperature lunch. And Oh my gosh, I love Bananas Foster because they will sit there, they will flambe the bananas table side. You know, they're dousing them in like high proof rum, lighting them on fire. They've got this lovely caramel sauce and it is so good. And they serve it over ice cream. But I was like, let's put this on this oven baked pancake. That's a great idea.
2: We're talking with baker Valerie Lomas about the recipes in her book, Life is What You Bake It. Many of those recipes are inspired by the women in her family. I'm Marisol Castro.
1: And I'm Chef Plum. Valerie swears if the world needs one more chocolate chip cookie recipe, it's the one we're going to talk about next.
0: They are so good. Like that delicate EVOO flavor kind of permeates through and there's just enough butter so that like you're getting the best of all the world.
1: You're listening to Seasoned. We'll be right back.
2: Welcome back to Seasoned, I'm Marisol Castro.
1: And I'm Chef Plum.
2: We're talking with Valerie Lomas about her book, Life is What You Bake It, and many of the things that inspired it, the heritage recipes, and the disappointment that didn't derail Valerie's plan to make a name for herself in the baking world.
1: And everybody knows every good baker has a go-to chocolate chip cookie recipe.
0: You might be asking, does the world need another chocolate chip cookie recipe? And the answer is yes. It needs this one, you need this one. I make these cookies for people and people have told me they don't even like cookies and they like these cookies. I'm like, first of all, what do you mean you don't like cookies? But anyway,
1: yeah, who says that?
0: (laughs) No, this really happened to me on Tuesday, but like these cookies, they are, they are so good. Like that delicate EVOO flavor. It just kind of permeates through and there's just enough butter so that like you're getting the best of all the world. They're like a little bit crispy on the outside, chewy in the center and they are super simple to make. Sold cookies, they're just accessible in a sense like I live in I live in the city. And if you want to like bring something to someone's home, what's better than a cookie? Like a layered cake is cute and all. I think if people are coming to your house, who wants to travel with a layered cake? I don't. No one. <laughs> I love donuts. And I think that um, not I think, I want people <laughs> to to feel like they can make these at home, because you can, and I include as many tips that I've learned along the way since I've started making donuts. And um, actually, the old fashioned donuts are like blowing up on social media right now. I can't believe that these donuts are like the first hit of the book that everyone is making. I was like, people are making these donuts and they look amazing.
2: My favorite donut is an old fashioned donut. So I finally feel like I have arrived.
0: (laughs) Where does your
2: affinity and love for donuts come from?
0: So I grew up just like mesmerized in a trance by the little Krispy Kreme conveyor belt. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I, I love those donuts. Honestly, it was going on the Great American Baking Show where we had to make donuts for a challenge. And it was week two. And I was like, well, I guess I have to learn donuts unless I want to go home the second week. It was like summer, I didn't have an air conditioner, and I was just like in my kitchen, literally like dripping sweat into hot oil, trying to figure out how to make donuts. But I made so many donuts that I figured it out.
1: Now, when you did it on the show, were you using like a yeast leavened donut, or was like a cake donut? How were you doing it?
0: Yeah, we had to do, I think it was like two dozen yeast-raised donuts in two and a half hours or something, which is pretty... Yeah, and my donut actually rises twice. Oh, but it's so pillowy. That's what I
1: say. It doesn't have to rise twice, right?
0: Yeah, it's so it's so pillowy. Oh, it's worth it. But yeah. Yeah, so we had to just like make a crazy amount of donuts in a in a really short time. Thankfully we had a proofing drawer. I like I put it together at some point out because I was like my instant read thermometer is telling me it's 90 something degrees in my little Oof. like hot no AC walk-up apartment. And it was so humid. So it was like mimicking the environment that I was going to have on the show with the proofing drawer.
1: In the book, you talk about preaching to people, don't be afraid of yeast.
0: Yeast is your friend. I think people, they do get intimidated by yeast. Yeast is wonderful. It's just asleep. We have to wake it up. That's right. And we can't kill it. So (laughs) Mm -hmm. there are only a few ways to kill it. Like salt, really high temperatures, befriend, befriend the yeast.
1: And what she's talking about with with waking the yeast up is you have to feed it a little bit. When you get in those little packets, it's, it's lying dormant. So you have to wake it up by basically feeding it. Mm-hmm. And it loves to eat sugar. And when it's eating that sugar, the byproduct it makes is carbon dioxide, which is what leavens a dough. Because that carbon dioxide can't escape. So it pushes the dough up and makes those beautiful little bubbles in there.
0: Yeah. And then it starts to burp. Like, I don't <laughs> And, you know, I also I talk about instant yeast in the book because you can use it and you can skip that step of like adding warm liquid and letting it sit for 10 minutes to get foamy. You can just add it with your dry ingredients. Can
2: we also, since we're talking about yeast, talk about pie crusts? Cause that, that could be a very polarizing
0: topic. In the book, I talk about whether or not you have to make your own or if you can use store-bought and (laughs) I use store-bought pie crust often. And it's really because when I started my baking life, I was busy, And a lot of people are busy and I love a homemade pie crust, especially for the holidays, special occasions. But like, I'm not going to let that stop me. Like if I have to use a store-bought pie crust, because I went apple picking and I want to like make an apple pie with my niece and nephew. And you know, I don't want to go through the fuss with them because they're one and two. We don't have to make a a homemade pie crust. We can do a store-bought pie crust. So there I said it. (laughs) I use store-bought pie crust sometimes.
1: (laughs) Oh my gosh.
0: I like it. I don't
1: know about that.
2: <laughs> do I guess what you could. need to do to survive.
1: Make it easy, right? And more
2: importantly, do, you, do
0: what you need to do to have fun. Absolutely. Exactly. What and you're like, doing with your niece and nephew is having fun. Yeah, and let it just be a start. It can be your entryway into like a double-crusted apple pie. Like maybe you want to work on your lattice technique. And if you just want to work on your technique, Using a store-bought pie dough is perfect. That's a great idea, actually. Yeah. With
2: all my free time, I'm going to work on my lattice work. <laughs> so my, so in my family, we love a king cake.
0: Mm. And
2: my children, This is if I don't do it, they're like, where's the king cake? I'm like, you guys have never even been to New Orleans. But, and I don't even know how I started this tradition in my house. But I've always wanted to learn how to make a king cake because it seems incredibly scary, but not for you.
0: No. Okay. So first of all, to people who, who don't necessarily know we eat king cake at Mardi Gras and it's actually, it's a misnomer because it's not a cake. Yeah. It's a yeast raised bread. So it's actually very similar to a cinnamon roll uh, that has a glaze on top and it has a, it has a filling traditional filling is cinnamon. There are also lots of fruit fillings and cream cheese filling. So i um, in the king cake recipe I share in the book. It's got a blackberry filling and I add some lemon zest to the dough. And I actually I use a challah dough as my base for the king cake. Don't be intimidated by king cake. It's basically like a big cinnamon roll that you roll into a ring or you can like twist and make it into a ring. I'm like it's a king cake if you hide a little plastic baby inside. When do you shove the baby
2: (laughs) in when it comes out of the oven when no one's looking you shove it in there? Because I have to do two. I have two boys, and I didn't want World War Three. Oh, I needed no. them both to find those babies.
0: <laughs> oh no, no, definitely when no one's looking. After it's baked, you know that's interesting because because in Louisiana, if you get the piece with the baby in it, you have to bring the next king cake. So there are a lot of people they do not want the piece with the baby in it. They're like, you better not give me that baby. <laughs> so maybe you can have your boys be like. Whoever gets the a baby has to make the next king cake, and then there won't be a fight. You got to make it from scratch. Yeah, there won't be a fight at all. Right,
1: exactly. <laughs> Let's talk about pound cake for a minute. I, I love making pound cake. You know, traditional pound cake, it's called a pound cake because it was what? A pound of sugar, a pound of flour, butter. and a pound of butter or eggs. I can't remember. Both. Was it butter? Yeah. Eggs
0: yeah. and butter.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Everything was one pound. So we call it a pound cake. And I think it's kind of making a, a comeback here. We start to see pound cake all over the place, even on menus now.
0: Yeah. And, you know, so I've got a pound cake on the cover of my book and it's, it's so funny because, you know, my, my dad, he told me, he was like, every Southern woman knows how to make a good pound cake, And I was like, okay, dad, (laughs) (laughs) I was like, I guess I guess I'm a a good Southern woman now, but yeah. So this recipe is actually, uh, it's based off of a recipe that my mom always made and it uses cream cheese. Oh, it's, it's like dense in the way you want a pound cake to be. And it has this like crusty exterior and this very tender crumb and a very simple vanilla, creamy vanilla glaze on top. Oh. Um, and what I love about this pound cake recipe, pound cake, it is an easy cake to make as far as cakes go. And they're beautiful and they're not a layer cake. So you don't have to worry about stacking them and fussing around with buttercream. You can bake them in a a bunt pan, which is gorgeous. And they come out and you just, you have something that's like really festive. Right. That looks gorgeous. That tastes amazing. And it's just not a lot of fuss.
1: And you can flavor them so simply. And I love the cream cheese idea. What a great idea.
2: Yeah, I was just looking at the the cover again on your Instagram of your your cookbook because when I I started this conversation with you, I said it was literally one of the most beautiful cookbooks I had ever seen. I loved seeing a cookbook with real people, real women of color. It just it made me excited about wanting to cook something. You know, I can get lost in the cook's illustrated of the world and look at the science, but the pages of your cookbook just reminded me of home. It reminded me of like real people in in my own life. So what was that process like quickly in these last few minutes we have? And uh, how did you know when you were ready to just put it to bed?
0: Mm, As far as the real people, I have my family and my friends in the book. I wanted, I knew they had to be a part of it because baking is something that you do for other people. You know, it's something that you share with other people. So the idea that there wouldn't be any people in the book or it would just be me like showing technical things, to me that just wasn't what the book was about. And like I mentioned, it's also, it's about family, community, friendship and um, all of that kind of stuff. So I'm so glad that resonated with you. And as you were talking, I like got a little teary almost because that's what I want people to feel with the book and to feel a connection to these recipes that um, that's deeper than just like the taste and the texture and the flavor, like, which are there. But I feel like when you have that full experience, you're going to experience it on a different sensory level. And, you know, when did I know to put it to bed? Like when my editor was like, if you don't get this manuscript and you're going to miss your on sale date. And it was like, ah! (laughs) (laughs) It was a very long process. And um, I actually... I I lost my sense of taste and smell last March. Oh no. Cuz I got I got covid when I was finishing up the book. So I was like doing last minute testing. I could not taste anything, but I could like look at things and look at the texture. And it was driving me bananas. I just couldn't be prouder with how everything turned out, so
1: You definitely should be. Uh, The book is beautiful. The recipes look fantastic. I'm going to make donuts this weekend for sure. That's going to happen. You know, I've heard you say it so many times in the book and in interviews. It's kind of the mantra you took up after uh, the TV show. When life gives you lemons, make lemon curd. Can you talk about that for a second?
0: First of all, I love lemon curd. And I think that goes back to that, like being in France, tart things. And with desserts, I like having that like burst of, of tartness to balance everything out. But yeah, after the show got canceled, that's what I thought. I was like, you know what? When life gives you lemons, make lemon curd. And the thing when you make lemon curd, you have to like keep whisking the pot. You don't want it to burn. You want to make sure that that heat is evenly distributed when you're whisking it looks very liquidy and it doesn't look anything like lemon curd but you have to have faith that as you keep whisking as you keep putting in that work and consistency that you're going to get there and it's going to be this like luxurious rich delicious thing at the end. Valerie Lamas thank you so much for your time we appreciate it. Thank you for having me on it was really nice talking with y'all.
2: That was the delightful Valerie Lomas. She won the Great American Baking Show Season 3, and her first cookbook is out now. It's called Life Is What You Bake It. Follow Valerie to see what she does next. She's at Foodie in New York on Instagram. And by the way, you know those olive oil chocolate chunk cookies Valerie said we absolutely need in our lives? Make them this weekend. The recipe is up on our site, ctpublic.org recipes. I'm Marisol Castro.
1: And I'm Chef Plum. Season is produced by Robin doyen aiken and Kenny Talarski.
2: Thanks for listening, everyone. See you next week.